Welcome to Jiri Snacks, snackable episodes about the Jiri exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable $199 Jiri course that includes everything you need to ace your Jiri exam. A full textbook, tons of Jiri questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code PODCAST gets you 10% off at checkout. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. And today, let's get started with our guest, which is Clay Daniel, back on the show, um, and really excited to have you here, Clay. Would love if you could just give a quick primer or intro about yourself and your company uh, for those who haven't heard you before. Sure. Tyler, it's great to be back. Really fun times with you. And I guess today with my introduction, I'll just kind of focus on what you and I were talking about a little bit before um, we started recording this evening. And that's that's the idea of just the test questions themselves being uh, kind of really fun puzzles. Uh, I've just always been a puzzle guy and that has made me a test guy. I love crossword puzzles. Uh, really excited. Just set my all-time record for the New York Times, uh, set, the time it takes me to do a Saturday puzzle, I just set my record today and, and, and made a little note of it. So <laughs> um, doing these questions just feels uh, feels like that fun kind of puzzle. And it's it's really cool that we can talk about that together and share it in a way that, that benefits others. So my company, Claiborne, does does test prep. Um, but I, I like to think about these puzzles of the test. And I guess that sums it up. Yeah, for sure. Well, great. And today you wanted to, we're going to tackle uh, reading comprehension questions. And so the way that we're going to do this for the audience here uh, is that because we, these are taken from ETS's power prep uh, tests, which you can get access to for free. Um, you just have to go to ETS's website and sign up for a free account and you get two free power prep tests. Um, so these are publicly available to an extent. Uh, but we figure that the best way, rather than like take screenshots, which might be kind of over the line, the best way to do this would be to read them out loud. And uh, then we'll talk about essentially like why the right answer is the right answer. So Clay, if you want to take it away. Love to. So just to, to narrow down the, the focus a little bit, we are talking about reading. But what I'd like to look at specifically is what's often called the logic based reading questions. These are unique in that they always only have one question that is associated with the passage and the passage itself is very short. So I'd like to start out by mm -hmm. talking about what that means for the strategy for logic-based reading as opposed to the broader reading questions, which might have a longer passage with multiple questions associated. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, since there's only one question, by contrast, um, with, with the longer passages, we don't necessarily, we, I tend to not recommend reading the question in advance in great detail with the longer reading passages, because if you have only that question in mind, you can, and then read the passage, you can kind of miss the forest for the trees and you really mm -hmm. want to read the passage and at least get the bigger idea first. But with logic-based reading, the heading above them tells you that there is only one question. It'll say something like, Question seven is associated with the following passage. So you know it's the only question that's going to deal with the material, which means mm -hmm. it, it absolutely makes sense to read the question in advance for these. I like to say it's like it's like going to the store with a list instead of just aimlessly wandering the aisles. You know, you 
if you know what you're looking for, you're going to be more efficient and probably more accurate. Mm-hmm. So, so as I present these questions, what I'll do is, is read the question stem first, and then I'll right. read the, the passage, um, the, the, the short paragraph, and then I'm going to summarize the choices and talk about the right answer and, and some features of the wrong answers um, without necessarily reading every word. So, sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, great. So we're going to start um, with one that is a strengthened question. Um, this is fairly straightforward to identify because the question stem says, which of the following, if true, most strengthens the argument? Now, before okay. reading the argument, let me just mention that that word argument is part of what makes these questions unique. Most of the time, not always, but most of these time, most of the time, these single question passages are arguments. So we first need to recognize that arguments have kind of an anatomy, a conclusion or main point, right, supported by evidence, but they're going to be very pithy and compact. So you can kind of find that main point, that conclusion, and isolate the evidence supporting it. So if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to kind of listen as I read. I know it can be a little challenging without having the text in front of you. See if you can hear that thesis statement, that conclusion and kind of summarize for yourself what evidence might be used. Right. Okay, so it says this, recently an unusually high number of dolphins have been found dead of infectious diseases. And most of these had abnormally high tissue concentrations of certain compounds that even in low concentrations reduce dolphins resistance to infection. The only source of these compounds in the dolphins environment is boat paint. Therefore, Since dolphins rid their bodies of the compounds rapidly once exposure ceases, their mortality rate should decline rapidly if such boat paints are banned. So if you're listening carefully, especially if you're kind of attuned to the idea of keywords or indicator words, you may have kind of perked up your ears with that therefore, right? That's probably where the conclusion is found And notice that that conclusion, we can also tell it's a conclusion because it has a little bit of a conjecture to it. Their mortality rate should decline. Uh, Should not in the sense of what's morally right, but it's kind of a conjecture. We think this is going to happen. They, They should die in lower numbers if we get rid of the, this kind of boat paint. Right. And I, and even like, I like to kind of even think like, what is, what's the goal of the passage? Like, you know, it, it technically it's an argument, right? What is the argument? Well, the argument is we should ban this boat paint and here's why. Yeah. Um, well, and, and to just nuance that slightly, notice the if too, to add that piece, if such boat paints are banned, the fact that that's a conditional conclusion also is a factor that we need to consider mm-hmm. because it, it's not simply saying, uh, boat paints, boat paints have been banned. Therefore, this, it's it's looking into the future, as well, right? Right. Now, so at this point, and this is just me kind of jumping in here, but would would you say to yourself, like, because I've heard this advice in other in other test things, where it's like, now imagine what you would think would be the most conclude, like the best things for the answers to say. Right. Is that a step you would recommend where you're like, if, you know, if the answer says we have directly proven that the boat paint leads to the dolphins having this compound in their tissue, 
right? Obviously, that would probably be a slam dunk, right? So is that the kind of imagining you should do, or is that not a good step and you should just go to the answers first? Uh, so a, a couple of things in response to that. Yes, if you if you can do that, if if the question presents kind of such a clear gap between conclusion and evidence, maybe that that, you know, at, as you become a more of a skilled arguer that pops into your mind, then, then, then great. It's, it's kind of like if I were to say, you know, I want you to dunk this basketball as many times as you can. We're going to start at six feet and then put it at seven feet and then put it at eight feet and then put it at nine feet, right? I'm going to be able to get a few dunks in there, but at some point I'm going to know it's, it's useless to try and I should probably take another approach. Um, I use that analogy because some arguments are so subtle that you can drive yourself crazy counterproductively trying to find that like prediction that you're describing. Right. And time is of the essence. Right? Time is of the essence. Yes. So I think it's better to become a very good reader of arguments such that you start to see those flaws, kind of like you mm -hmm. do on the, uh, the analysis of argument essay. Mm -hmm. The more you do that, the more those kind of predictions will pop to your mind in a way that actually is time efficient. And then I think the other the other important answer to your question, Tyler, is that to make a prediction, we still need to consider the key evidence. We can't just entertain the conclusion because we don't understand the reasoning until we see what's the main line of evidence. And I think that comes before it here that the only source of these apparently harmful compounds in the dolphins environment is boat paint. Right. Okay. So they it seems like they've narrowed it down to the only factor, which which sounds like uh, a pretty solid argument insofar as it goes. Right. Okay, great. So then how do we strengthen that argument? Right. So when we're, so when we look at the choices, um, we, we can strengthen it by a couple of, of different ways. One is to give kind of an additional support to the argument, meaning like, mm -hmm. Imagine that the roof has three pillars and we're putting a fourth one, a fourth one under there. Like this is just an additional line of evidence. Right. But sometimes it's a little more subtle than that in the sense that you, the argument has a possible weakness and we kind of need to fill that gap or fill that hole. In other words, what we might say on this one, okay, we get rid of boat paints. Let's say boat paints are banned. Right. But is there a way that that might not get rid of the problem? In other words, sometimes you can attend to the strengthening by thinking actually about what would weaken the argument. And then the strengthen is sort of the opposite of that. Right. The reason I mention that is that the right answer here ends up talking about the compounds breaking down quickly. It says they break down after a few months of exposure to water or air. Okay, so we can picture the right. timeline now, right? We we ban the boat paints. They're not used anymore. And it actually works because the compounds break down after a few months. They're really gone instead of sticking around mm -hmm. for years like non-biodegradable waste in a landfill or something like that. So that makes sense. That was a key pillar of their argument that I didn't even notice, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I noticed it, but I didn't, I didn't like think about that as, as important as it should have been. Right. Cause if that wasn't true, then 
the whole premise wouldn't work. Then it was, then it was kind of like, I mean, we should maybe ban the boat paints, but it's maybe too late. Right. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not great. I, I think that also kind of provides a, a follow-up answer to your question about prediction. Cause I always tell my students, even, even the most sophisticated test takers won't always be able to predict what that answer should look like. And so you have to be able to recognize what, that the opposite of this right answer would weaken the argument. Like if these stay around forever. And so that kind of analysis or almost negation of the answer to say, oh, the opposite of it would weaken. Therefore, this answer must strengthen. That becomes very important. Great. And then anything, I, I, I know that we're not trying to read the entire problem out, uh, but if there's anything about like the wrong answer choices that you just want to point out that might be like common traps or pitfalls that they're, that they're trying to get you with or sure one one wrong answer in particular stands out to me for for two reasons uh, it talks about the the levels of boat of compounds in the boat paints today are lower than they used to be basically and that strikes mm -hmm. me you know, we can rule that out pretty quickly for two reasons one is irrelevance right if you read it and you just kind of say mm -hmm. well who cares why, why even say that right um, then, then that, that gets rid of it. But you also, something a little more subtle is comparison answers can be misleading trap answers because they might mention something mm -hmm. that seems relevant at first glance, but then, or they mention A and B, which were both mentioned in the passage, but they're comparing A to B in ways that are, that are unhelpful, that, that don't contribute to our understanding of the passage. So those are two right. common kinds. Awesome. Great. Well, yeah, that was a great one. Do you want, do you want to do another one here? Yeah, let's do that. Let, let's, let's move to another one that is also an argument-based question. And like strengthened questions, we might even call it a critical argument-based question in the sense that we want to be critical as we read the argument. Again, similar mm -hmm. to the analysis of argument essay, we expect the argument to have some holes in it. And the reason we know that here is this one is an assumption question. Which of the following is an assumption on which the argument depends? So it would be helpful here to make sure we have a clear definition of assumption. And there's really two words, a two-word definition that I, that I think is ideal for assumption. Unstated premise. So it okay. can't be an assumption if it's actually stated. Right? It's got to be un, unstated, not actually said. But it's also not the conclusion. It, it, it's a premise, which means something that supports the conclusion. The trick with the assumption, though, is that it, it actually has to be true to support the conclusion, and it might not be true. Right. So that makes it vulnerable. Okay, so this argument says extensive housing construction is underway in Pataska Forest, the habitat of a large population of deer, because deer feed at the edge of forests. These deer will be attracted to the spaces alongside the new roads being cut through Pataska Forest to serve the new residential areas. Consequently, hint, hint, once the housing is occupied, the annual number of the forest deer hit by cars will be much higher than before construction started. Do you hear um, some of the similarities to the last argument in that one? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the first thing that I think about when I hear this is, well, obviously, like if there wasn't a road there <laughs> and then you build a road, it's a lot more likely the deer are going to get hit by cars. But maybe maybe the road was already there. 
it uh, that's interesting you mentioned that because it does seem like a slam dunk and then when i when i reveal the right answer to you, you, you you'll you'll feel like oh well okay i guess there was an exception to that slam dunk but <laughs> you're right road right. or no road that does seem to be um pretty straightforward so i think we have a fairly straightforward argument right they're building a road so more deer are going to be hit by cars so mm-hmm. because you have identified it as an argument that feels almost obvious this is probably another one that it may be difficult to predict the answer for mm-hmm. So let's let's go right to the idea. Um, let me put it this way. If I'm going to come at it from sort of the opposite point of view again, from almost like a what-if point of view. What if, for example, this construction was so damaging to the environment that the, there were no deer left once the construction was over in Potaska Forest? Well, then... <laughs> there'd be no deer getting hit by car. There'd be no, there'd no deer getting, deers getting hit by car, right. Exactly. So there actually is a possible exception to the apparent obviousness of the argument. And once again, right. uh, the, the right answer kind of almost shields against that. It, it, um, it says the opposite of that. The right answer says the development will leave sufficient forest to sustain a significant population of deer. Interesting. Yeah, so that is like two steps away, kind of. Yeah, it really is. Um, it 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 almost states something so obvious that we ourselves would be tempted to assume it, mm-hmm. which is why the argument maybe seemed so straightforward. Um, it it really makes you think how even the, even the things that we take as most certain in many ways, the things we hold dear or believe in, like there still are assumptions undergirding those ideas. So. I don't want to get too philosophical, but it does kind of show that, right? Um, that really has to be true. And it says on which the argument depends. So we can do something with the negation again, just like last time, where if we if we take the opposite of the right answer and say the development will not leave sufficient forest to su- sustain a population of deer, that's that kind of argument killing response that Mm-hmm. would 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 be fatal to the argument so maybe a, a one or two of the of the wrong answers here here's a good example of a fairly irrelevant one i think on its face in years past the annual number of deer that have been hit by cars on existing roads have been very low that's not relevant to the new situation at all yeah i mean maybe you're tempted a little bit by it because if if the number was very low that might make it easier for the number to go up so right. you can see how that might be a little bit tempting. Um, no deer hunting will be allowed in Potaska Forest when the housing is occupied. Well, maybe deer hunting is relevant. I don't know. What... Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it it might be relevant in the sense that like deer hunting makes it so that there's less deer, which makes them less likely to be hit by cars. But like now we're talking about three degrees of separation and the deer hunting making there be less deer is like a big assumption, right? And yeah, there's just a bunch of like, it's it's more assumptions baked in. <laughs> if you're increasing the number of assumptions, that's probably not good for the argument. Yeah. Or you could say that if, if you find yourself having to really argue yourself into the right answer with a long convoluted argument, it's probably not the right answer. <laughs> right. One last note on that choice, which I, it can be very helpful with, with some questions. Notice that it also starts out no deer hunting, 
we call that, I like to call those that bold language or some people refer to like extreme language. Mm -hmm. That's something to often be cautious about in these questions. It, it can be helpful if you're trying to strengthen the argument, but if we're just talking about an assumption that's necessary, you probably don't want something that is absolute in the way that it speaks. So you actually, words like always and never and no and all can actually be red flags. Cool. Good to know. All right. Do you want to do you want to do a third one? Or? Yeah, let's let's do uh, one more here. Um, yeah, because it, it, it this one is helpful because it, it is an argument question, but um, it, it comes at it a little bit differently. It says um, so there's two people talking. It says the first response or the second response to the first by doing which of the following. So this would be called more of a method or technique of reasoning. We're not as much trying to poke a hole in the argument here as to really understand the second person's method in light of what the first person says. So, yeah, can you repeat that one more time? Just um, so Vargas responds to Romley's argument by doing which of the following. So, kind of by doing is the the key words that makes me think. Okay, it's about how the argument is it being advanced. Right. Got it. Okay. All right. So first person, Romley. Um, the Lawrence Papyrus, a manuscript on the circulation of blood, was made about 1700 BC. However, the text is in a language that had not been in common use since 2700 BC. So the Lawrence Papyrus must be a copy of an older manuscript, and the understanding of circulation must date to at least 2700 BC. Okay, so we've got, we've got Romley's argument, got some evidence for it. But it's really the second person, Vargas, that on which everything hangs. Vargas says, right. uh, not necessarily. There's the conclusion just in those two pithy words, right? Not necessarily. In mm -hmm. 1628, William Harvey published his investigations of the circulation of blood in a by then dead language, Latin. Right. Okay, so we can make somewhat of a prediction here maybe, but it's important to recognize the way Vargas is responding because the second person could, could have any number of ways of disagreeing or somehow qualifying what the first person says. Mm -hmm. But notice that, that Vargas is talking about what you said that if it's in a language that, that wasn't current at the time, it can't actually have been written at that time. But here's right. an example where William Harvey wrote in Latin even though Latin was a dead language at the time. So almost like it's almost like using Romley's um, evidence against him or her in that sense, you know, <laughs> same right. kind of reasoning. Right. Now, when we look at answers here, this is another one where <clears throat> um, we, we want to watch out for answers that would be too bold, too extreme for what's actually happening. So I'd like to start with a wrong answer in this case. Uh, it uses the word inconsistent. Says contending that Romley's conclusion is inconsistent with the generally accepted views of the history of medicine. Well, apart from being somewhat irrelevant, this choice also raises that word inconsistent. And we need to watch out for that because that means contradictory. It means like literally saying A and not A at the same time. Mm -hmm. Very rarely will, will an argument actually have that kind of a contradiction. So mm -hmm. when I say watch out for, for things that feel extreme or that feel bold, that 
something to look out for. Um, along the same lines, we have a choice that talks about applying only to a special case. So that's that's not it because that's keeping it very narrow. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but the, the right answer has several words that we need to kind of define or unpack. So I'll give you that now. It says, uh, proposing a counterexample to a generalization implicit in the formulation of Romley's argument. Now that's a GRE choice if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, so can you break that down for me? Because that was even hard to like, I was like trying to follow the answer and I was like, what? Let me read it again first. Because yeah, sometimes you just, you read the GRE and you think, okay, I, I understood like 30% of the words I just read. Um, <laughs> proposing a counterexample to a generalization implicit in the formulation of Romley's argument. Now, right. So although there's a lot of words to unpack here, the, the reason that should jump out at us is that word counterexample. That, right. that should kind of get us thinking this might be the one because that's what Vargas does, right? Wait, it's not always true what you say, Romley. There actually was a time where somebody wrote in a dead language. Right. So counterexample makes it an attractive answer. Then it talks about an implicit generalization. Well, implicit, we can just go back to the idea of the word assumption, something that Romley is not actually saying, mm -hmm. but, but Romley is implying, or we might say assuming that if you, that, that nothing would ever be written in a dead language. If we realize the first person Romley is saying that, then we can kind of hear how, oh yeah, that counterexample is an exception to the rule of that assumption. So if we if we focus on counterexample and implicit generalization and kind of revisit the arguments, it does begin to come together. And if you rule out the other answers and you think counterexample sounds right, you know, maybe at, at the very least that's an educated guess answer. Sometimes you have to be comfortable with that on the GRE because the language can be downright impenetrable. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, no, I think, I think that was actually, once you, once you fully explained the answer choice, I think it made a ton of sense. Well, great. Thank you for walking us through those. Any final tips before we wrap up? Yeah. I'll just reiterate that you want to, separate your approach in, in my opinion from regular reading comprehension with longer passages separate that from this kind of logic based um, reading comprehension so do do read the question stem first and let that kind of gear your reading of the passage um, we mm -hmm. saw a strengthen question and so we we already knew that the passage was going to have some kind of weakness the argument was going to have some kind of weakness or otherwise it wouldn't need to be strengthened so let that be kind of your guide as you read the question read this the passage i think that's a very important principle that really can revolutionize the way you approach these questions awesome thank you so much clay this is great this has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Clay Daniel from Claiborne Education. You can try our G Achievables GRE course for free at achievable.me, and you can use the code PODCAST to get 10% off if you like it.